everybody. I am Catalina and this is the Changemakers podcast, a show exploring the sustainable development goals and highlighting thinkers and initiatives that are working towards achieving the UN's 2030 agenda. Today, my guest is Nilish Patia, a visionary leader and the co-founder of Acadasia, an online learning platform on a mission to provide free access to a good quality education to all in Asia. In this episode, we dive into Sustainable Development Goal 4, access to quality education, the challenges that we need to overcome to achieve this goal, and the role of technology in providing access to inclusive education. Welcome, Nilish, to the Changemakers podcast. It is really a pleasure to have you as a guest and to pick your brain on the topic of education. So the Sustainable Development Goal number four is access to quality education. So let's start with what is quality education for you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think it's a pretty good thing that you're doing to kind of you know spread the word as to how SDGs can actually benefit the society. In terms of the question that you just asked me about what is quality education? Well, I think if you look at it at the moment, in order to recruit a new enrollment. So we often see the education institutions will advertise how their students have been the top scorers of various exams and so on and so forth. However, to me, you know, college education is not one that is measured purely by test scores or by how many you know, words per minute a student can read. In fact, I think to actually look back at these simplified measurements is to do disservice to both the learner and the phrase college education itself. Because education is not simply a content delivery system, but I think it's a system designed to help all learners reach their full potential and become you know, good citizens in general. And one description that I actually read somewhere was that for a college education is that you know, it should focus entirely on the learner, the social, emotional, mental physical and cognitive development of each learner, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or geographic location. It prepares the learner for life, not just for testing. And I tend to agree with this description a whole lot. I think a quality education must ensure that learners learn how to ask the right questions, analyze their findings, and formulate their own answers backed by sound logic. A quality education should ensure that they learn to enjoy learning and their thirst for knowledge never ceases. In doing so, I think a quality education provides the outcomes needed for individuals, communities, and even societies to prosper in general. And that is basically, for me, what college education is all about. Mm -hmm. Great answer. And where does your passion for education or your interests for education come from? Well, I think it basically stems from the fact that over the last almost a decade now, I've been involved with tertiary level education around Asia. And, you know, typically education is seen as a business. You know, everything at the end of the day, end of the day revolves around profits and losses. And education industry, unfortunately, isn't very different. And over the last decade, you know, that I've traveled all over Asia, you know, talking to educators, to administrators, and so on and so forth, I've realized that we need to actually come out of this whole focus around PLs for education industry. Yes, I mean, PLs are important. Education institutes do need to survive. They need to be able to cover their costs. That is, of course, mandatory. But I think over and above that, we need to kind of have this bigger purpose in life to actually, you know, impart a good quality education to the younger generation. And I know I've kind of reached a point in my career where, you know, for me at this point, I want to see how I can best provide access to education to whoever, you know, who wants to learn. Because I think one of the biggest challenges that we've seen 
over the last few years is people just don't have access to good quality education. So basically, you know, what I'm trying to do is now to see how I can provide to the best of my ability, at least to provide access to these learners who are so hungry for knowledge. Yeah. I'm really glad that you, you mentioned this aspect of that education, unfortunately, is run sometimes like a business because mm-hmm. from my experience and also where I come from, there is always, or at least as long as I remember, there have always been private schools and public schools. And traditionally, like my parents and the parents of my friends, they always strive to put the kids into the private school because they always say that, okay, the public school, you know, doesn't have the resources. They don't really care about the children. So like the private education sometimes, or most of the times actually provides better quality education to the children. But at the same time, it, you know, prevents access to that knowledge and to that training for many other kids. So yeah, what do you think about this private public education and how can we overcome this challenge of access? I think if you go back to the earlier answer that I gave in terms of definition for quality education, where I said, you know, we are looking at basically learners to be able to enjoy learning and, you know, have a quest for knowledge that never ceases. I think when you start looking at that description, I think if a school can provide a learner with an education that is inclusive and is structured to realize the learner's full potential, regardless of location or economic status, then it really doesn't matter if the learner is in a private or a public school. I think As such, I think it's a mistake to assume that one might be better than the other. I think both types of schools have their advantages and disadvantages, and both types of schools can, and this is very important, if they so wish to, provide easy access to good quality education to all learners. You know, so the thing is, it all depends on will at the end of the day. Yes, you know, in terms of the private education institutions, they might have more facilities, but is that necessarily the only thing that is better or worse? Public education, you know, schools have also come, you know, there have been many, many great leaders, thought leaders, scientists who've all come out from public education systems. So that doesn't necessarily make public education worse or better than private education Mm -hmm. and vice versa, in my opinion. In fact, personally speaking, my own son has gone through the public education system here in Singapore. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's turned out to be a pretty decent young man now. (laughs) I totally agree with you that, you know, I mean, of course, public education, like it can be a really good, depending also on the, I guess, the location you're in. But I really love that you mentioned, you know, the will, if there is a will to, yeah. you know, empower learners, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of institution you're in. So how do you think we can, you know, work on that will? How can we motivate, you know, decision makers to, you know, maybe deal with the challenges in education, you know, to really focus on empowering the learner and kind of get away from maybe that profit-driven, business-driven incentive? I think if you look, start looking at the challenges and, you know, and telling educators on what they need to do, I think there are a lot of challenges in the industry at the moment. In fact, I think there's a huge disconnect within the education industry at the moment. So almost about 50% of the learners in Asia, for example, are 21st century learners. You know, We're all under 30 and a majority of them are very tech-savvy. But then when you start looking at the teachers, I think about 75% of them are still living in the 20th century. And most of them cannot even operate the basic tech. And again, then if you start looking at classrooms, I would say almost 90% of the classrooms in Asia are not really equipped to handle the sheer numbers of students that enroll each year. So there's this huge disconnect across the industry at the moment. And the use of technology in classrooms to help students with their individual learning styles is still very rare due to the high cost involved. And also the concept of lifelong learning 
is still very alien in most Asian countries. The changes brought about by the globalization and the diversification of societies have intensified the need to raise the level of efforts to foster these competencies. And, you know, the new role of teachers is now seen as critical to developing them. But all of this comes at a cost. So I think most educators will probably, or most administrators will probably tell you that, hey, you know, we need access to funds to be able to do all of this stuff. Yes, and I kind of agree with them to a certain extent that, you know, to transform education system, you need quite a bit of funds to actually be able to do that. But having said that, there are other challenges too, which doesn't really require a lot of funds. And it goes back to my earlier thing, which I mentioned, it it's all boils down to the will of the administrators and the people you know, who are running the educational institutions. The first one is basically the lack of trained instructors and teachers. I mean, this is absolutely basic. I mean, I've been to schools in the region where, you know, for example, my personal interest has been always in entrepreneurship education. And I've been to schools where teachers were basically in classrooms facilitating students for entrepreneurship education have never started a business. And, you know, it's one thing to actually talk about theory, but when you start looking at experiential learning and, you know, how do you do that if you don't have experience? So teachers need to be trained on certain skill sets, which is not happening. Then there is a lack of quality curriculum that promotes experiential and inquiry-based learning instead of rote learning. And again, a lot of teachers just do not know how to make that change. For example, I've seen schools deploy learning management tools thinking that, okay, we have a digital platform and all curriculum will now be converted to e-learning material and students can learn anytime, anywhere. Great. But where does the curriculum come from? Because the teachers who, who need to develop that curriculum do not have the necessary expertise to convert the traditional way of learning to a new digital way of learning. How do you convert that? It's not just about you know, converting your PowerPoint or Word file into a you know, PDF and uploading it onto the system. It just doesn't work that way. The curriculum needs to be a lot more engaging when you put it up onto any e-learning platform. So where does this training come from? And then there is lack of access to even the most basic technologies and learning tools. So I've been to some schools which don't even have access to Wi-Fi for that matter, or if the Wi-Fi is present, it is extremely slow. So the moment you start you know, looking at putting in technology, any kind of technology, and if you don't even have basic Wi-Fi in place, how do you make that happen? And most importantly, like I keep on coming back to, you know, saying is that it's, there's a sheer lack of will at various levels to make decisions. And these are hard decisions, you know, in order to, to achieve whatever goals the schools are trying to kind of get at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that you mentioned technology, I'm wondering because I totally agree with you that it's not, you know, the way we use technology many times in classrooms is not the most effective way that we use technology is not enough, yeah. you know, as you said, to just upload a PDF, right? So how would we ideally, you know, embed technology in this education process that it actually, you know, facilitates the empowerment, you know, of the learner that, that we talked about before? I think when you start looking at technology, educators should look at it on how it can enhance the role of teaching and learning rather than, you know, assuming that just because we have technology, we have now achieved you know, easier access for students. It doesn't work that way. So I think it all boils down to teacher training and, you know, training for all academics and educators around the region to show them that it's not just about deploying technology, but how do you actually do it? How do you actually embed technology within a lesson plan so that students are not just using that for the sake of it, but actually 
using it when they have to, and they actually use it to learn certain specific things. It's not something like one shoe that fits all. Every lesson plan might need some different tool. Every subject might need a different tool. So how do you actually find those things and how do you embed that into curriculum and then deploy that onto a learning management platform so that when students get onto it, each student has a very personal experience instead of, you know, like I said, one shoe size fits all. Awesome. And one more question to follow up on, on what mm -hmm. you're saying now is what do you think is the role of the parent actually in this whole education process? Because many times we talk, you know, about student and trainer, but I feel like the parent is also a very big stakeholder, let's say, in this whole learning journey. And sometimes the parent is the one who actually pushes the child to go in a certain direction. So how do we also motivate the parents, you know, to kind of change their behavior, maybe, or change their mindset in what a good education is? I think that's a great question. To be honest, it's a question that not many people within the education industry are really seriously thinking about. And I think apart from the parents, there are a couple of other things that need to change within the education models. And for example, I mean, I'll, I'll come to the parents bit, but I mean, if you start looking at the assessment methods, you know, we need to redesign the assessment methods. And when I said earlier, we need to kind of have access to technology and we need trainers on, you know, different experiential and query based or collaborative learning methods, all of this will not happen in any school without the approval of parents. Because at the end of the day, and this is very, very true in Asia, because parents play a very, very big role in their child's education, even at a university level. So parents are important. They need to be brought into the dialogue. And I think there has to be a system of trust that needs to be built with the parents and schools, because without their support, without their approval, no matter what the school or the teacher or the academic proposes, it's not really going to fly well at home. And I'll give you a personal example. I mean, again, I go back to my you know, past experience as an entrepreneurship educator. We were running an e-accelerator program. And the aim of the program was not for students to actually start up businesses or get to market, but just to actually help them build an entrepreneurial mindset. Now, along the way, of course, if students decided that they really wanted to start up and, you know, then that would be great. We would move them to the incubation at that point. And, you know, we definitely did have students who said, hey, you know, I want to, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I want to, convert this lesson that I've learned into an actual business. And I've actually had parents call me up and tell me, nope, this is not going to happen. And you shouldn't be pushing our kids into starting up. So, you know, I kind of learned my lesson at that point where, yes, parents need to be involved right from the get-go and not at the latter flag end of things. So, you know, what I do these days is basically whenever I engage with the school, I also tell the school that, hey, you know, you need to kind of start engaging with the parents immediately before you deploy any kind of technology on campus or make any, any changes to curriculum and gain their trust. Awesome. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit more about what is Acadasia because you've been working on that for the last months and you're a social entrepreneurship educator as well. And yeah, I would like to know more about the work that you're doing with Acadasia, the mission, what do you ultimately want to achieve and how is this contributing to you know the SDG4? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, at Acad Asia, we're basically a group of people who are very passionate about democratizing education for all across Asia. So we're all basically from either the education or the tech industries. And we've come together basically to make sure that we have an option available for schools to make education access easily available 
to all their students and not just easily available, but to actually make it available for free. The main crux of the problem that we're trying to solve is this. If you look at the Asian education industry, and right now our target market is primarily high schools and tertiary level education institutes around Asia. Now, there is a variety of these schools all over the region. If you look at the learners, as I said earlier, a majority of the learners are very technically savvy. They're all digital natives. And then they have to come to a classroom and then sit through a very painful experience of a lecture you know, for an hour or two hours. And it doesn't really work that way for these kids, like it used to for people in my generation, for that, for that matter. But the thing is, for a school to deploy a digital learning management system is one thing. But what do they do with the system once they have this? And then the other challenge is a lot of schools in the tier two and tier three markets across the region cannot even afford most of these learning management tools, primarily because the cost of these systems is still quite prohibitive. Even though a majority of them have you know, a per user fee model, when you start looking at the sheer numbers coming into these schools, it is very, very prohibitive for a lot of these schools. So that's the first thing. You know, it's very expensive. The second thing is even if the school can afford to buy or deploy a learning management tool, what do they do with it? Because they still need to develop curriculum. And like I said earlier, it's not about just putting up a PDF. You really need to understand how to engage your student. So what do they do with it? And I've typically what I've seen also around the region is a lot of schools deploy, you know, all kinds of learning management tools only to find out the teachers are not using it because they just don't know how to use it or how to develop curriculum for it. And the third thing is, even if they know how to do it, most of these platforms are designed for a Western education, you know, in English. And when you start looking at Asia, language diversity is immense. And the fact that a lot of these tools are only available to students in English straight away creates this big, huge gap between the haves and have-nots. So, you know, that's another question that we ask ourselves as to why. Why is this? Why can't somebody who's learning whatever they want to learn in, say, Vietnamese or in Thai or in, you know, Basa, Indonesia, why can't they get access to the same technologies and the tools that the English-speaking students have access to? And then the other thing is in terms of you know, access to even other education material and also access to opportunities, whether it be job opportunities or whether it be opportunities to connect to you know, financing or investment if they want to start their own companies. You know, typically, students in tier two to tier three markets find it a lot more difficult to have access to all of that. So what we are basically doing with ACAT Asia is trying to solve all of these problems through our own platform, which we call Freeju. That's F-R-E-E-J-O-O, Freeju. And basically, you know, we, like I said, have a very simple mission. We want to provide free access and easy access to everybody in Asia to a quality education and not just education, but also opportunities thereafter. So it's a very simple B2B model that we have. We work with schools and, you know, universities, colleges, polytechnics, and even vocational institutions around the region. And we don't just deploy our platform, but we train the trainers before they actually can use the platform. And then we have a very strong quality control on what kind of material is uploaded and how they upload the material and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of handholding provided. And we are more interested in capacity building rather than just, you know, deploying a tool. Basically, the technology and the curriculum that we offer is absolutely free of cost to all schools and all teachers and all students. And in addition to that, the teachers can also create their own curriculum once they are trained and upload that onto the system as well for their students to access for free. That's basically in a nutshell what we do. Amazing. So what would ultimately be the change that you would like to contribute to? 
I think as far as the change is concerned, even if we can impact, you know, 100 or 200 students around Asia, I think, you know, we would have made a contribution, a significant contribution in those people's lives, because we want to make sure that the students who use the platform, who use Freeju, don't just use it to learn, but to actually basically, you know, they can come back to it at any point and then they basically become lifelong learners through Freeju. That's what our mission is. So we want to make sure that, you know, they become good citizens. They have a, you know, very strong quest for knowledge and they're always seeking answers. And whenever they want, they should be able to come back and learn whatever it is that they want to learn at any given point from any time, anywhere, you know, in the language of their choice, all for free. Amazing. (laughs) And final question, what can the listeners of this podcast start doing today? So what would be a call to action to the listeners of this podcast, you know, to make a step towards democratizing education? I think the first thing that the listeners should, I mean, again, depending on who the listeners are, if they're educators, I think they need to basically really ask themselves if they're doing justice to their learners by delivering curriculum in a manner which is just not interesting to the younger generation. So how do you actually, you know, create interesting curriculum? Now, in terms of the other listeners who might not be academics or educators themselves, maybe they're movers and shakers, you know, maybe they're administrators. I think for them, it is basically to figure out a way on how do you actually make sure that the schools around you or the schools that are under you have access to the basic systems and tools which are needed to actually engage the learners of today. And it's not just about deployment, but actually how do you actually teach and build capacity amongst the trainers, you know, so that they can build the skill sets in the students and make them future ready. And for the general audiences, I would say, you know, for them to kind of step up and do their bit, we all actually can come in and step up and say, you know what, we can mentor students, if nothing else. Because I think a lot of students would actually benefit a whole lot just by getting a mentor who can guide them along the way and provide advice and just be there for them whenever needed. So if nothing else, you know, find a kid or two kids or maybe a group of kids and see whether you can spend, you know, 30 minutes or an hour a week just to mentor these kids and show them what it takes to be a lifelong learner and you know, to become a good citizen. And I think if a lot of us actually eventually start doing that, slowly but surely, we can definitely meet the targets of 2030 and SDG 4. And, you know, worst case, if they still need help, please give me a call. You know, you can reach out to me. And, you know, I have access to a whole bunch of schools that are looking for help. I can definitely, you know, connect your listeners to these schools in their countries, which are looking for mentors, which are looking for help, any kind of help. We could definitely build this large network to empower educators and students alike. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Nidish, for everything. And yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing. I think it's really important that there are people like you who are working on, you know, democratizing access to education and to empower young people to become change makers in their own communities. So thank you for that. And thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you so much, Katalina. I really appreciate the mm-hmm. opportunity once again. And I wish you a very happy new year. I have a happy Chinese new year and also happy Tet holiday. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This was the Changemakers podcast with Nilish Bhatia on SDG4, access to quality education and how Acadasia, the online learning platform, is working towards providing free, quality and inclusive education to all in the Asia-Pacific region. If you like this episode, share it within your community and connect with me on Instagram at change.makers at stories and on LinkedIn. 
You can find all these relevant links in this episode's description. If you are curious about the Sustainable Development Goals and initiatives that are working towards the UN's 2030 agenda, subscribe to this show on SoundCloud, Spotify or iTunes and don't miss the upcoming episodes.